0: Today, we're continuing in our sermon series, considering what it means to thrive beyond survival. And we've been using the lectionary, these uh, stories in the book of Matthew, to help us to explore what that looks like. Because so often when the things that we think are going to cause us to thrive are actually the things that cause life to drain from us. So uh, the scripture that we are looking at today, Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22, it follows an immediate succession from the scriptures that we have been looking at in the last several weeks. And so what that means is that uh, Jesus has sort of been having a rough run with the people who are in leadership, with the, chiefs, uh, the chief priests and with the elders, and today with the Pharisees. I mean, he's just been hit one after the other, and he's been telling story after story, parable after parable, to try and make the same point that God authors everything and that nothing can happen apart from God's ownership. And so he said this over and over and over again, And he's going to say it again today. So listen with me as we check in with Matthew 22. This is Jesus now speaking with the Pharisees and with the Herodians. Those are people who were faithful to Herod, uh, the local government leader who was answerable to the Roman Empire. So they're more um, political civil authorities. Uh, So the Pharisees and the Herodians, let's listen for the word of the Lord. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperors and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed and they left him and went away. Friends, please join me as we ask God to open our hearts and to understand the movement of the spirit. God of light, We pray that you will open our eyes. God of truth, we pray that you will open our hearts. That this morning, you might help us to be more faithful, more true, more courageous than we have been before. So we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. When I turned 16, I became the primary driver of our family car. It was an 86 Volvo station wagon in beige with vinyl seats and no air conditioning. Not even a full day into me having my driver's license. I was talking with my parents about where I was going to be driving that evening and what time I was going to be back when I made the catastrophic mistake of referring to the Volvo as my car in a passing comment. The conversation, which up until that point had been moving pretty quick at a casual pace, came to a sudden screeching halt as my dad raised his eyebrows and said, your car, that's not your car, that's my car, and I let you drive it. I tried to explain to my dad in that very moment that I obviously didn't mean that it was my car. I was referring to it as my car in the same way that I referred to a seat on an airplane as my seat. I didn't see it as mine to own, to take home with me. I saw it as mine to use. But my dad was unwavering. It wasn't my car in any way, shape, or form, and I had better not forget it. From that day forward, whether my dad was in the room or not, I started to refer to that car as the Volvo, with a capital THE. I never referred to that car as mine, and as a result, all of my friends came to refer to that car as the mighty Volvo themselves. They knew that it wasn't my car. Everybody who knew me well, and everybody who took a ride in that Volvo knew that the car belonged to my dad. At the time, I really didn't see the big deal about referring to the Volvo as my car or not. Because in my mind, it was really just a quick way to tell people what car I was driving, as in put your bag in my car. It wasn't some expression of ownership. But language is a really big deal because what we say shapes how we think. And my dad who taught 7th grade middle school math for 40 years, knew that probably better than most. To refer to that car as mine would be for me to cognitively create my own little reality, a world that was separate from what was true reality, and a world that could easily become my true reality if I wasn't careful. After all, the people who saw me and not my dad driving that car, would conclude that the Volvo was mine. And there were certainly people who thought that. And I certainly was the authority of the Volvo when my dad wasn't around. But that sub-narrative, that alternate reality where people thought that the Volvo was mine, was not the actual truth. Regardless of what I secretly thought and regardless of what other people believed, the truth was that the Volvo always and would always belong to my father. When we meet Jesus in scripture today, Jesus is trying to remind the Pharisees and the Herodians of a similar truth to what my dad was reinforcing with me and that car. Jesus is reminding them that regardless of what is in their immediate possession, regardless of their authority over any matter or person or thing, God is always The ultimate authority because everything has and always will belong to God. The Pharisees and the Herodians are operating from their alternative reality, where they see themselves as possessing some amount of authority over the priorities of that community to cooperate with the government or to cooperate with the rules of the temple. So they approach Jesus and they present him with their false dichotomy, which is the greater authority, the temple law or the government law, the Herodians or the Pharisees? To which Jesus replies by saying, neither. Only God has the authority. We cannot divide up or section out anything that doesn't belong to God. Dividing something from God's authority is almost like applying a fraudulent tax. This situation with the Pharisees, the Herodians, and Jesus, it is really a great scene of trickery and wit. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they were not friends They had absolutely no political goals in common. The Pharisees were legalists that tended to temple law, whereas the Herodians were affiliates of the governing empire. So politically, that meant that the only thing that they had in common was a deep dislike of Jesus. So together, they come up with the perfect question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? In other words, when the rubber meets the road, who has more authority, the temple or the government? If Jesus answers that these taxes are lawful, then he gets into some trouble. He undermines the authority of the Pharisees who hate how much the empire has been meddling with what they do. He undermines the poor who were very burdened by this particular flat tax that they're discussing today. And he undermines the authority of the temple that sees any graven image, such as the image of the emperor upon the coin to be idolatrous and blasphemous. On the other hand, if he speaks out against the tax, he undermines the authority of the Herodians who just like that, will take news of his seditious kind of talk back to that Roman empire there is absolutely no way that Jesus can answer this question and not be wrong in the eyes of someone commentator lance pape he says this he describes it as a well-laid trap and all the more well-laid because it's prefaced by this flattering reminder that Jesus has a reputation for fearless truth-telling and not for political maneuvering. Because you see, before the question itself is asked, they approach Jesus with all of this sickly, sweet flattery that isn't intended to fool him so much as it is intended to frame him in front of the crowd as the truth teller, to remind both him and the crowd that Jesus has made a reputation on being honest regardless of the consequence. And those consequences with this question are really, really high. There was no way that Jesus could squirm out of this by making people happy. There was no way that he was going to squirm out of it by just retaining public favor. The Herodians and the Pharisees had truly set this scene perfectly. Which is then what makes Jesus' response to this tricky question so engaging. Give to the emperor what is emperor's, and give to God what is God's. In one sentence, Jesus blasts open this false dichotomy that everyone around him had been living by. This dichotomy that they were trying to trap him in, but that they were already living in, trapped. It's not a choice between the government and the temple says Jesus. It's only a choice between God and everything else. Lance Pape continues in his commentary. He says, Jesus is not solving the dilemma by carving out separate domains of human loyalty. One absolute commitment subsumes and relativizes all other commitments, whatever we render unto Caesar or Pape says to the retirement fund or the offering plate, whatever we render to Caesar, we can never afford to forget this. We belong entirely to God. We may divide our budget, but we must never divide our allegiance. In other words, Jesus forces everyone who is listening to his answer to consider what could possibly belong to the emperor that doesn't first belong to God. Now, over the centuries, but particularly over the last few decades, some have chosen to interpret these words of Jesus, this answer about give to the emperor, give to God, as meaning that anything that could belong to the government or to money or to civil society is separate from God. God isn't concerned about that. God is only interested in our soul, our heart, our body, our spirit, our mind. But I have to say, friends, that in order to believe that, We must then deny the foundational theological truth that is presented to us at the beginning of the gospel of John. When it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus, who is the word, was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made and without him nothing that has been made. Was made. We cannot believe that there is anything in existence that does not first belong to God. As humanity, we are tempted to divvy and divide what we have here on this earth, but the truth is that we cannot divide anything from God's ownership. It would be like a fraudulent tax to take something from the person who has always owned it and pretend that it was yours. We certainly cannot divide our allegiance between God and any other entity. Everything belongs to God, my friends, including you and me. It can be difficult to live in this way Because we are given authority while we are here on earth to tend to the things that are entrusted to our care, to tend to the people and the organizations and the systems that are entrusted to our care. It can be difficult to remember that we are not the authority. We are subject to different authorities while we are here on earth to governments, to rules, to processes, to bosses, but we are never out from under God's authority. We cannot give allegiance here completely separate from that all consuming allegiance that characterizes our life. My dad, he entrusted me with that Volvo, but it wasn't mine. It was his. And he was unwavering in not letting me think otherwise. In a similar, but in a much more significant way, God has entrusted us with people and with money and with organizations and with social systems here on earth. But none of them are ours. And God is unwavering in not letting us believe otherwise. God has entrusted me with my husband, Andy, in our marriage. But Andy isn't mine. Andy is God's. And God is unwavering in that fact. God has entrusted me with my children, but they're not mine. They are God's. And God is unwavering in that fact. The Spirit has entrusted Jeff and me and Jan and Becca to be your pastors. But friends, you don't belong to us. You belong to God. And so do we. There are places where I might be the local authority when it comes to my marriage or to my children or to this very sermon or anything else that I would like to preach. But I can never forget that none of this is mine. All of what we have is God's. And so just in the same way that everyone who knew me and that Volvo knew that it was my dad's car and that I was just the one charged to take care of it in that same spirit, I have to start asking myself with each person or thing or situation that is being entrusted into my care, Am I handling it in a way that causes everyone around me to know that all of this belongs to my Father in heaven? Does everyone know that the people and the things that I have been blessed with in my life do not belong to me, but understand that I am only charged to take good care of them and return them to God in better condition than I found them because they were always God's. Which leads me to just ask you what or who has God entrusted into your care? And do you treat What is entrusted into your care as yours to do with as you like? Or do you treat it as God's on loan to you with the intent that you will return it back to God in better condition than you found it? Are there places in your life where you are trying to unfairly tax God? Or are there places in your life where perhaps you could be a better steward of your authority, of the people that you love, and of the people that nobody loves? It is my wish for all of us, particularly as we head into this fall season, that we here at San Marino Community Church and that every Christian around this nation and beyond into the globe, it is my true desire that we will live under the undivided authority of God and that we will not try to create and live by alternative realities that say that somehow there are places that God cannot touch. Everything is and was and always will be God's. How are you being a good steward? Is there a place where you are committing tax fraud? Please join me as we pray. God, it is difficult for us to give up what we have in our hands, like children with a toy that was on loan, we refuse sometimes to loosen our grip. We want our authority to be honored over and above yours, or at least we want our authority to be honored over and above those who are around us. Help us to break that dichotomy that we live in and thinking that it's us and them, or us and you. And help us to remember that overarching, all-consuming truth, that all authority is and was and always will be yours, and that everything, living or not living, tangible or intangible, was made by you. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.